So here's the thing that everyone needs to understand. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're thinking to yourself, oh, Liam's just this fundamentalist running remote work guy and he doesn't, you know, like that's all BS. So forget about how happy it makes workers. It makes workers really happy, but forget about that for right now. It makes you more money. It produces a better return on investment for you as a business owner. Today, it's my great pleasure to host Liam Martin, the co-founder and CEO of Time Doctor, a time tracking tool, and the founder of Running Remote, a conference about remote work launched in 2017. As Liam told me, everything he does focuses on one single mission, empowering the world's transition towards remote work as quickly as possible, as he believes that this will make humanity happier. Today, we'll discuss focusing on outputs, managing asynchronously, and why remote companies are more profitable. So let's dive in. Liam, you are the founder of Time Doctor. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to get the most controversial question out of the way. Because sure. typically when you talk about time tracking to people, it doesn't sound that uh, human-centric. It doesn't sound that positive. Is there a way that we can check people's time and do it in a very people-centric way? We can. I have uh, something that I mentioned in my book, which is radical transparency, mm. which is giving everyone access to everyone else's data. So, And so what we do throughout all of our companies is if we can measure it, we distribute it internally. Mm. So I'm not scared about measuring the input mm -hmm. as long as you're trying to optimize that input towards an output, essentially. That sounds like your personal productivity. You want to track that. You want to measure that. You want to show how what you spend your time on, you know, whether that's worthwhile or not, which I'm a big proponent of. Do you think that that's how companies use tools like Time Doctor? Or is it more just to see who is working, who's not working? Because obviously that's kind of like the stigma that the category has. That is definitely, I would say, the majority of people right now that currently use Time Doctor are simply using it as a tool to be able to figure out, are you working or are you not working? However, there is a growing minority, and I would probably almost say at this point, we're close to the majority of our user base. Mm. We have hundreds of thousands of users across our network that are actually using it to be able to optimize for outputs and not necessarily inputs. Mm. We have variables like, can we cross-reference your Zendesk data or your Salesforce data to be able to figure out what activities you actually do throughout your workday mm. that optimize towards your success in which actions actually decelerate your success? I totally buy into that kind of idea of it's really about people's own productivity. And if you want to be more productive, and I always talk about meaningful productivity, right? Not productivity just to send emails or Slack messages, but actually get things done that are valuable and meaningful to you. Mm -hmm. If you want to get better at that, then obviously you need data, and that's the whole kind of quantifiable self movement, right? So from that side, it makes total sense. And on the other side, you have employers that are using it just to see, you know, are people logging on? Are people doing work? Are they being distracted? And so it sounds like for you, the mission is more to actually get those two worlds together where you kind of need to educate people on how to use this as a tool to do more of what's important for you and your role. And then also through that, get the employers on board to use it in a different way. Yeah. 76% of employees say they're more productive when they work from home. 67% hmm. of managers say they aren't. Oh, yeah, that's Microsoft research. Yeah, so it's this huge gap between... So who's right? Well, how do we define productivity? 
doesn't matter. We're going back to the office. Go back to the office. You're not productive when you work from home. Why? I'm more productive when I work from home. I'm the boss. Go back to the office. That's it. Why don't we actually define this and create a way to measure it so that we can optimize for those outputs and we can cl- like this is the reason why everyone's going back to the office. Hmm. It's the only reason. And I wish there were other reasons. No one really wants to talk about this, but the reality is that if there's eyes on the person in the office, then I know they're working. Yeah. This is the reason why everyone is going back to the office. Managing by walking around, managing by looking over the shoulder. Essentially, yeah, yeah, right. So if we could actually prove Hmm. that workers were more productive when they work from home, and I have the data, there's a bunch of other studies that can back this up, not just my data sources. If we could prove that remote employees are more productive when they work from home, that's one of the biggest reasons to be able to stop this backward trend Hmm. that we're currently seeing. And it is getting aggressive in terms of that pushback to the office. So I've smelt that in the air. You know, it's not just, and it's also showing up in a lot of the data sets and the surveys that we're seeing roll out. Mm -hmm. But essentially, I think that we're creating irrevocable damage at this point to be able to not talk about the pragmatics of remote work and where they need to be. And not just talking about serving employees' needs, but serving managers, leaderships, and corporations, and recognizing where they need to fit inside of this mix, because we're losing. Yeah, just totally. Up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, is the reason why engagement levels are as low as they are? I, I thought it was really interesting in the twenty-three Gallup data. You know, they've been running that since two thousand, right? But in this year's data, they said, "Well, there's great news." engagement has grown double-digit numbers. <laughs> and it was like, okay, that's great. But it was like from 13 to 23%. Yeah, that's fantastic. It still means that three-quarters of the workforce are disengaged, like actively disengaged. Right. And where does it come from? It comes from these kind of insane things of like, I have this, as someone from Brian's team calls that executive nostalgia, right? I have this yeah. warm feeling about being in the office together. Therefore, you should be here too. But we're saying it to a generation that has, you know, I work with mostly Gen Zs here, right? Like they've never been in an office or they never have really seen the need for an office because their whole life is online and everything that they do goes through digital channels and it's all open and digital and it just doesn't make sense to them. Mm. So you mentioned you have hundreds of thousands of users on the platform and Mm -hmm. that must be generating a ton of data Is there anything interesting that came from that data? Is there anything that managers could use to become better managers, create a better employee experience for the people? Well, yes, but we're probably going to be on this podcast for 17 hours if I discuss all of those different things. We did a a really interesting longitudinal study pre and post COVID. We had a lot of clients that were using Time Doctor pre COVID, and then they immediately switched to remote Mm. in a day, Mm. right? And it's obviously not a very good, it's not a good AB AB split test. It's not like, because you don't have a control group that's off on one other side. But when you see it with multiple companies and you start to see these trends occur, the data is pretty clear. So for us, we see approximately a 10 to 15% increase in overall output. And we define output by the outcomes that are being generated. A Zendesk ticket is being completed. A sale is being completed things that you can essentially widgetize across organizations that we have the outcome components to. 
But some of the other things that we've identified is also quite interesting. Uh, remote workers work longer. Mm-hmm. They have a longer work day than yeah. in office employees, but they work differently. So they don't work as hard. Mm. So their output per week is higher, but their mm. output per hour is lower, mm. which mm. is a really interesting phenomenon that we found not just in one or two companies, but across, it's like a trend across a lot of the organizations that we were tracking that had this switch towards their work. And what we identified was people were taking, instead of like a 30 minute lunch, they'd take an hour and a half lunch and they'd probably sit down with their wife you know, at noon and go back up to the office, to their office or to their bedroom at 1.30 instead of uh, 12.30. Or maybe in the afternoon, they might run off to Costco and do some shopping or something like that. But then later on, Mm. they would work late into the evening to be able to make that time up. So that work day expanded. And I actually don't know what the long-term implications would be towards work-life balance. For this, this is still a pretty open question for me. But I know for me, that's the way that I've always worked. So for me, work and life kind of meld together. I have an office here hmm. that I work from. I have a uh, I have a laptop, but everything is connected here. And I sit here to work and my work doesn't leave this room. So hmm. if I need to even like go on social media or something like that, I physically pick up the phone and I leave the room. It's very Pavlovian for me, but it's really good for overall productivity and output is just creating a space that's just for work and then a space that isn't. And I think that probably a bunch of remote workers need to learn those lessons, to -hmm. be completely honest with you. As we've seen this pullback into hybrid, which is right now the majority of the people that we see on our network are hybrid. Mm -hmm. And I'm the first one to say this because I was very much against hybrid, but it looks like the most pragmatic solution for the next evolution in distributed work, which is we won't get to full remote work. Mm. So you can't be location independent. You can't, you know, live in Vietnam as an example and work for a company in New York. But what we're going to be able to start to have is basically your synchronous collaboration time is spent at an office and then your work time is spent asynchronous at your home or your home office or wherever it might be. So I start to see that as a trend that starts to occur now because we can measure the different IPs between their work environment and then their non-work environments. Mm -hmm. And then how do managers deal with all that, right? Because the policy is typically set at a company level. So there's typically not that much input that managers can give on how the team will work. How do they navigate this? You just mentioned some really great habits. They would have to learn it themselves. Then they have to also do that kind of for their team. And at the same time, they have to do their own work. They have to manage. They have to manage upper management. Mm -hmm. It creates a lot of tension. Is there something you do with the managers in your organization that we could learn from? Well, in our organization, we've been doing it for almost 20 years, so it's a little bit of a different game. But essentially what I did is with Running Remote, the conference, Hmm. I was able to study all of these companies pre-pandemic. You know, we were a community. It was crazy. 2019, the event, I think, was 700 people. And that was like the community of remote work. Yeah. <laughs> there was it was just a bunch of tech nerds essentially that just really wanted to be able to build their companies remotely and we believed that we could do it mm. without necessarily having a central office. Now everything has completely changed, but 
the one thing that they all had in common, hmm. which I made the thesis of my book, is yeah. something that I called asynchronous management. Asynchronous management. Hmm. Yeah, it's the ability to manage people without directly synchronously interacting with them, face-to-face -face communication, one-on-one -on -one direct communication. So the concept of the platform being the manager, you mentioned that your team, they're Gen Z, they probably have project management systems, they have you know, marketing technologies, they have reporting tools. These are all the manager. The platform is essentially the manager for a large amount of the tasks mm. that a manager classically did when they were in an office. None of those lessons were learned during COVID. Yeah. None of them. It was emergency remote work. Mm -hmm. So no one really understood how do you manage people that work remotely? A lot of people thought, well, it's just the same as in an office. It's just, it's the same deal. It's not. <laughs> it's very, very different. I was just in a call with Amir, who is the guy that runs Doist, which is a very famous mm -hmm. asynchronous organization. Yep. And he has an employee that's worked in the company for 17 years. They have never spoken to this person. This person has never showed up on a video and has never done an audio call. They do not know if this person is an AI or not. <laughs> but that's asynchronous management. Yeah. All I'm focused on is the outcome. What outcome can you generate for me? Are you passionate about where we're going? Are you happy as a worker? Are you producing good work? These are the only things that are important in order to be able to run a successful organization, whether they're in an office or not. That's it. And so the happy happenstance that occurred out of this whole mess is we have now been given the opportunity to be able to communicate Mm. What I believe is the next best management philosophy, which is asynchronous management, mm -hmm. to as many people as possible to be able to say there's a different way of doing it. And we talked before we jumped on the call here about Saster, which was a conference that I was at a few mm -hmm. weeks ago. Jason Lemkin from uh, Saster stated 82% of new tech companies in San Francisco are remote or hybrid. Pre-pandemic, that was 16%. Hmm. That's a huge jump. So wow. the new companies. So here's the thing that everyone needs to understand. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're thinking to yourself, oh, hmm. Liam's just this fundamentalist running remote work guy and he doesn't, you know, like that's all BS. Hmm. The new companies are adopting this new methodology and management mindset very successfully mm. because it's easy to be remote and distributed from day one. It's relatively difficult yeah. to be an on-premise organization that switches to remote. And that's yes. kind of the issue that we've had right now. So forget about how happy it makes workers. It makes workers really happy, but forget about that for right now. Mm. It makes you more money. Yes. It produces a better return on investment for you as a business owner. Mm. And those companies, those little teeny tiny companies that have popped up in the last couple of years are going to become big boy companies in the next 10 years, and they're going to drink up your milkshake. And you need to be ready to adapt to that model and understand how to manage that because their big strategic advantage is I'm going to run a business for 30 cents cheaper on the dollar than you because my number one cost, which is labor, Headcount, yep. is going to be significantly cheaper simply because... I'm running a remote distributed model and you're not. Yeah, that makes total sense. And that should be a total wake up call for owners for sure.
and just really interesting to think about, okay, how can we help managers? Again, it's both a mindset and then also kind of just some very practical things that need to change. One of those things, I think there is a lot of sort of noise in the system in terms of like, what do people actually spend their time on? And it's actually really bothering people, but they don't know how to solve it. Mm. So a much better role for a manager would be to say, let's look at the data together. And let's look at, you know, you said you had a really busy week last week. You said you were totally overwhelmed, overloaded. Let's look at where you spend that time. It's like, mm -hmm. why did this happen? Why did that happen, right? And like you said, one of the things that we then always see is that it's, oh, I was looking up this information. So I sent this person a message and then I was waiting for their reply. And then this is this like five steps to just get a problem solved. They're actually totally solvable. And it's not a matter of future of work. It's totally solvable today. Oh, absolutely. I mean, not only can it be solved today, it's being done today with a lot of organizations yep. that are successfully executing on asynchronous management. When you have the mindset of, well, what if I could never talk to anyone inside of the company? How would I get work done? Mm. Just switch your mind into that mindset. Mm. Amazing shit happens out the other end. Like I'm seeing companies now that are growing at a clip and we're talking hyper growth. Mm -hmm companies that are employing asynchronous management because they've been able to get through all of the BS and bureaucracy of how to run a business and are realizing that you can bring in contractors. Mm -hmm. You can actually run a large organization of simply contractors yes. because the manager is not an individual anymore. It's a platform. So they can come in and they can learn how to actually do that job quickly and easily. And that's a big shift in 20th century management yeah. that I think is going to take probably a lot longer for everyone to really recognize. When COVID happened, I mean, February of 2020, we had 4% of the U.S. workforce that was working remotely. By yeah. March, it was 45% of the U.S. workforce. That's the biggest shift in work since the Industrial Revolution. It is. But the Industrial Revolution took about 80 years, and we did that in mm -hmm. March. So yes. no one really understands how crazy correct that is that is the mm -hmm. biggest thing to happen to work ever and so we're three years away from that and now we're just thinking oh yeah okay well let's just go back to the way it was before i'm sorry but the genie's out of the bottle yeah and there are people that have figured out how to do this more effectively just because a bunch of you know 50 plus year old mba types are like oh listen that's not the way that you do work wait 10 years. Yeah. That's kind of, I don't want to get too fundamentalist with you, but wait 10 years. I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm very happy to wait another 10 to be able to figure out that everyone was wrong and we were right. No, and you made a really good point around the startups and the percentage of startups that are going remote first in the Bay Area. I mean, this is basically the innovator's dilemma, right? Like you either see what's happening around you. And obviously your operational model impacts so much of how a company runs and why it's competitive and why it's attractive for talent, right? And you can adapt to it now, or yeah, you can wait, let's say you can wait 10 years um, and then see what's happened. And it's like, oh, now we're suddenly falling behind because we don't know how to get work done through talent marketplaces, for example, which I think uh, we have Edie Goldberg on from SHRM uh, this season as well. And she's been studying talent marketplace and, and fractional work for decades. Mm. And now that shift is finally happening, right? Because if you're working remote, you're also not dependent anymore on the employees near you or the people near you. You can get someone who may be really good at this one thing, whether they're based in the US or based in the Philippines. That's where suddenly it does 
kind of makes sense. But it, it requires you to manage in a very different way, like very, very different way. Because I think, again, even looking at our team, right, like the old school way, and Vietnam is a super office-centered culture, the old school way is very much like work is showing up and then kind of <laughs> looking at your inbox and looking at your maybe Slack in this case and looking at the people around you and say, what are we going to do today? <laughs> what meetings do I have? What are people talking about that's most urgent? What is, uh, you know, what is... What is my manager shouting about? And that's what I'm going to do. So there wasn't really that kind of systematic approach even to how we use our time. And maybe it's because of our age or because we have kids, but we've, we've realized like how insanely precious our time is. So why would we waste it on anything but extremely meaningfully productive work? Mm. You actually brought up a learning for me right there, which is what is my manager angry about or what is my my manager, you know, screaming about, that's what I'll respond yeah. to. Oh, yeah. We don't think like that. So we have one of our values is self-guided missile. Mm. So essentially, everyone knows everything has the same informational advantage as the CEO of the company. So if you have the same informational advantage as the CEO of the company, then you can think like the CEO of the company. And mm. you can think to yourself, I'm a support rep that, or I'm a success, I'm a customer success rep that manages a book of business of $3 million, as an example. And I'm really frustrated about this thing here, which is there's this process that doesn't work and I've come up against it and I can't seem to get it to work properly. So, you know, I'm waking up on Monday morning and instead of, you know, figuring out what my manager is angry about, I'm instead going to work on that thing. And it's just like, that really isn't done in corporate. That's not really done in the classic office environment. It's more of a reactionary way of working as opposed to thinking, what can I do to be able to improve my particular situation inside of this organization or improve the organization yeah. in its entirety? And I think you hit the nail on the head right there, which is that actually is true that a lot of these companies that are asynchronous at this point are thinking in that way mm -hmm. because they just have access to all that information. So it makes people a lot more proactive, right? So going back to the theme of agency at work, autonomy at work, you cannot really have that if you're dependent on other people to tell you what to do because there is that information asymmetry. Like, I don't know what you know. So the moment that you open it up, it actually becomes way better for people because now they know why they're doing what they're doing and the connection between what I'm doing and what the company is achieving and why that's important uh, it's huge for, for things like, you know, why am I engaged or why would I stick around in this company? Absolutely. Beautiful, beautiful. I think so many fantastic insights and uh, we could talk until it's midnight your time, but I will not do that to you. We'd love to close with the same question that I ask everyone and that I've stolen from Tim Ferriss, which is if you could put one wish for humanity on a billboard, what would it be? Oh, Besides go remote. I mean, do we want one that's remote work related or do we want one that's no, no, a no, no, bit no, no, more no. existential? It should be Liam related. Um, hey, hey, that, that maybe, you know, I was just writing on LinkedIn this morning about uh, David Ogilvy, the founder of the agency I worked for. And he always said that you, you get your best work done when you've had two glasses of wine, not less, not more. So maybe you're in the perfect position. I would put up a billboard that would say, be comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. So I've recognized that the more that I can be comfortable with uncomfortable situations, uncomfortable conversations, uncomfortable interactions, the more successful I've been in life. And if I optimize for discomfort, 
in my life, I counterintuitively become a lot more successful. Beautiful. Okay, on that note, we'll end the conversation here. Highly recommend people to check out the book, Running Remote, and follow you online. You are on LinkedIn. And obviously, check out Time Doctor. And uh, hope to have you again on soon because uh, you've had a really a lot of really great insights here. Thanks for, for being on. Dude, appreciate it. Thanks a lot. That was Liam Martin, the co-founder and CEO of Time Doctor, a time tracking tool, and the founder of Running Remote, a conference about remote work launched in 2017. And here is what I picked up from this fascinating conversation. Number one, time tracking to understand effectiveness. So yes, while time tracking is very controversial, Liam believes it must be done in the context of radical transparency. And that if you measure your inputs at work better, you get more and better outputs. For example, Microsoft research shows that 76% of people say that they're more productive working from home, but that managers say they are not. This is why measuring work is so important to Liam as it makes this conversation objective. Number two, remote, work-life balance, and hybrid. A longitudinal study from Liam's Time Doctor data shows that while remote employees' output per week is higher, output per hour is lower. Remote workers typically stretch out their weeks more, melting work and life together. Liam says that remote workers need to learn to create more boundaries between life and work, and that therefore there may actually be a really great role for hybrid work, where you spend your synchronous hours working time in the office and your asynchronous work remotely. Number three, asynchronous management. Yes, speaking of async, from 20 years of remote work experience and studying the best remote companies, Liam embraced a model called asynchronous management, where you lead people without synchronously interacting with them. In fact, project management platforms can now do the lion's share of what management used to do. And as long as you focus on the output someone creates, that should be totally possible. And finally, number four, remote as the norm. Liam remarks that 82% of new tech companies in San Francisco are remote or hybrid compared to 16% pre-pandemic. If all the new companies embrace this working model, it has to eventually become the norm. So if you, as an existing company, don't embrace the model, you will not be able to compete as it decreases the costs. Join me again in two weeks when I speak to Jacob Knutsen, the founder and CEO of Butter, about better virtual collaboration. And for the latest on this podcast and to receive updates, visit flexos.work slash futurework.